We care about our land more than somebody down in Ottawa. A land code puts the First Nation into the power of government. The biggest point for me is your ability to protect your reserves lands. Former chief of our community had the vision to sign uh, and the guts to sign that framework agreement. Business at the pace of business. I think it just proves that First Nations lands management really is working. The good thing about land code, we don't have to sell it. It sells itself. And joining me now from the Musqueam Indian Band of British Columbia is Kim Guerin. Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Richard. Glad to be here. I've really been looking forward to this because uh, as I've been learning more about Musqueam, I mean, your history is so rich and the fact that where you're located, your traditional territory, I mean, it's incredible. Are you a lifelong resident? Yes, yes. I'm a lifelong resident of Musqueam Indian Reserve Number 2, located right here in the heart of Vancouver. Actually, the reserve is by UBC um, and is in between the Fraser River and uh, basically Point Grey. My whole life, I lived in the community. Then I left for work and school and came back in 1990, and I've been here since. So it would be obviously one of the most populated urban areas in Canada. Yes, our traditional territory is certainly the most populated area um, near on the West Coast. So can we go back to your early days, just before we get into land code, and uh, talk a bit about your upbringing there? I'm Lamtanat Tsiathnamit, traditionally. Lamtanat comes from my mother's side of the family. Tsiathnamit is a traditional name on my father's side of the family. So dad... Um, is half Musqueam and half Squamish, and he grew up on the Squamish Reserve until he was about 15 before he came over to this area. Mom is Musqueam, grew up in her traditional territory, um, which is Steveston, now called Steveston, and um, she was very close to her great-grandfather, Manat, James Point, and uh, she's, we've, we've learned so much from our great-grandfather, Manat. And are you part of a large family? Yes, I am. The Point family is one of the biggest families on the West Coast. Um, I, I don't know the exact numbers, but if you were to take a look at all of the Indian registry um, logs for British Columbia, Points are the biggest family. And the Guerin, the Guerin family is a significant family. Uh, my father's side... Um, <clears throat> extending down into the United States and to Vancouver Island, down into Oregon. Wow, good stuff. Uh, and you went away to school. Uh, now, was that a community college or university where you got your education? Yes, yes. I went to a lot of schools growing up, just the way things unfolded. Um, and then when I grew up, I, I left school and went to work for a few years before realizing that my best path was to return to school. So I went to Vancouver Community College to complete my uh, studies, um, taking on uh, topics I hadn't felt comfortable in in the past, math and sciences, <laughs> which were a whole new uh, arena. But um, the beauty of, of that return was realizing the connection between, say, uh, the laws of physics. A lot of the scientific uh, laws are quite aligned with the cultural teachings and practices of our people I could, I could see um, I could see into the scientific laws the parallels that really reflected things I'd seen and experienced and and heard of in our culture yeah 
I, I hear what you're saying about going to a lot of different schools because I grew up in a military family and it was like every two years we were headed somewhere else and it was like goodbye to friends and, you know, the nervousness of going somewhere new. And maybe, maybe it, it has made us more resilient in the end. I don't know. I think so. I agree. And your family is quite involved in uh, community politics, right? Yes. Yes. Mom um, supported dad and taught him a lot of our culture. Delbert Guerin, former chief and council member of the Musqueam Indian Band. Mom worked for the Indian Band as band secretary and, uh, and moved into band manager and did a lot of great work for the development of our administration. I truly grew up uh, with the administration of Musqueam. And so mom and dad uh, spent a lot of time um, at work and in politics, traveling on their own dime, I may add. And um, so I grew up with my extended family. My Auntie Grace looked after us a lot. And Your dad's name is associated with a very important court case or a court process there. Can you describe that for us? Dad was chief and got his hands on a copy of the Shaughnessy Golf Course lease that's held on Musqueam Indian lands. And as he read the content of that lease, he realized that it was not written in favor of us as the lease, the, uh, the landlords. And so he went to his mother, who was on council at the time of the, of the uh, authorization of that contract, that lease with Shaughnessy Golf Course, and asked her how they could agree to such a disparaging agreement. And they, uh, Grandma Gertrude Guerin and her uh, colleagues, Bill Guerin um, and Ed Guerin, looked at the uh, document and stated that the content was not what they agreed to and what they understood read quite differently. So that began a case for uh, a breach of trust. So Guerin versus the Crown is about breach of trust and fiduciary obligations in that a fiduciary relationship is trust-based. So in a position of trust, one must execute decisions, actions, carry themselves in a way that upholds that relationship in the best quality uh, possible. And if that isn't how the conduct is held, then it can be said that a breach of that trust has taken place, which is what occurred with the development of the lease. The content read differently than what was communicated to the council and chief, and hence a breach took place. I think a lot of our listeners will remember some of the media coverage that took place uh, over that period of time. And what was the conclusion and the end result of that? So Musqueam sued the federal government, the Crown, for the poor lease, the breach. And we went through the three levels of courts, um, provincial, uh, court of appeal, and then the Supreme Court of Canada. And the Supreme Court of Canada um, agreed there was a breach of trust, that um, there was an award uh, which was reduced from what was uh, sought. It was reduced down to $10 million. And um, so Musqueam won. And it was confirmed by that case that indeed the relationship of the federal government was not simply political, it was trust-like and bore responsibilities that weren't lived up to. And it also spelt out the duty to consult. So 
a lot of great work has unfolded past the occurrence of 1984, November 1st, the Supreme Court of Canada, Guerin, in favor of Guerin against the Crown. Yeah, wow. You must have been so proud to see that. (sighs) (laughs) What did it feel like? I was on a cloud. I was doing my practicum before I went back to college. And uh, we got the phone call. And nobody really knew in the building that my relationship to the case we concluded our day, and I could not get in the, the transit bus home. <laughs> I walked from Cambian Broadway to Maine and Marine. I got ready. I went and saw my father at home here in Musqueam, and we, we were so happy. He was sitting in his chair, and I came in the living room, and he stood up, and he had a really bad leg, but he literally jumped off that floor a foot and a half. <coughs> we won. We won. We won. <laughs> And he cried, and I cried, because we'd toughed out some very difficult moments over the years. If we were to lose, Musqueam would have lost everything. Boy. And take us uh, over those years. Now you're at the point where I think you're just approaching the fifth anniversary of entering the land code, uh, signing on to the framework agreement. And you were instrumental in, in the development of that, right? Yes, 10th anniversary, actually. Oh, 10th, I'm sorry. Yes, we, um, we confirmed our Musqueam Land Code in 2012. And so, yeah, 10 years ago. And we went operational in 2017. So with the Musqueam Land Code Committee, we've been implementing and developing the policies and the procedures and some of the laws that we need. Great more deal of work has got to take place in the terms of developing those laws. But uh, a lot of good work. Yeah. Was there a particular inspiration to get you involved with the framework agreement? Oh, of course. Yes. Thank you. Uh, My recollection in childhood was when my father, the late Chief Delbert Guerin, called Chilam, was um, in the position to create the body called the Alliance Tribal Council of British Columbia. And the Alliance Tribal Council came together for the purpose of taking over land management out from under the Indian Act into the hands of of our people, as it once was. And so Seashelt and Squamish came together with Musqueam in that initial alliance. And then eventually the alliance grew to uh, have West Bank First Nation, Seashelt, and a number of other nations. At some point, the leadership changed and Musqueam's Um, incoming leader um, let the file go and Chief Robert Louis took that uh, file and completed that beautiful work in creating the First Nations Lands Management Act. Yes, from West Bank First Nation. So can you talk about the early days of getting this started? I mean, there has to be some kind of capacity on the ground to take on, you know, the myriad elements of a land code. Yes. Very good point. Well, uh, Chief and Council decided we were ready and that we, in 2009, should move to create our own land law, the Musqueam Land Code. And so I came in as communications and Richard Sparrow was the coordinator for the land code team. And we developed the first committee, which was made up of uh, Counts, uh, Delbert Guerin, uh, Howard Grant, Councillor Howard Grant, Councillor Wendy John, and uh, Councillor Allison Fraser. And um, 
We also had uh, several members of the community, youth, Kimberly Stogan um, and Jordan Point. So this committee brought us through the development of the land code, which is a generally a two-year process. It took us longer. We ran across some different challenges. Uh, we learned that some of our road lands had been um, removed from reserve status and gifted to the city of Vancouver. We learned that um, there was, yeah, different matters like that that, that uh, wavered our path. So we extended and extended. And then in 2012, we're able to um, conclude our vote in favor of the Musqueam Land Code. Do you remember what percentage? Was it Very strong? high. Yes, it was very high uh, approval, uh, 80% easily. So looking back now, have there been any monumental shifts in community development or ha have things been happening more incrementally along the land code process? Quite incrementally, uh, particularly during COVID, things have stalled quite a bit. Um, we have a draft subdivision development and zoning law. We have a land use and zoning law and a subdivision development and servicing law that the committee um, will it'll be the top of their list to work on these items once they re, re, uh, are reestablished. I'm working on reestablishing the land code committee right now. Okay. Uh, can you give us an overview of what the subdivision law is? Like why okay. was that being developed? So a subdivision development and servicing law will tell you how you will build your community, uh, the width of your roads, the setbacks for buildings, how the infrastructure will be um, owned and developed. So the subdivision developing development and servicing law tells us how we will build things. And the land use and zoning law will tell us where we will build things. And we're currently in a master planning process. The one thing I forgot to ask Kim off the top is how many community members you have and where they're located on or off reserve. Good question. Thank you. We have over a thousand members. I don't have the exact total, but I believe we're about 1,500. Most are in the city or somewhere else other than on reserve lands. We have a very, very small uh, land base. Originally, this IR number two was 416 acres. So one of the smallest allocations in Canada because we were very much a seagoing people and Canada felt that being that we were so seagoing um, that our resources and reliance on the waters would support us with such a small land base. Okay. Now with Land Code, other community members have told me that there's such a difference between today and back in the day when you had to deal with INAC and the length of time it would take to get approval if, say, an outside party wanted to do business with you. Was that the case with you? It is, yes. So, for example, uh, we have leased lands, and if one was to wish to sell their property, prior to land code, their application would need to go to chief and council. It would then go to the regional office. It would then reach headquarters in Ottawa and then return through that same process. So it was a very drawn-out um, unreliable and slow, slow process. So with the land code, the decision making is back in the hands of council and administration staff are able to prepare and present to council to get those decisions in a timely business-like manner. 
So are you doing much business now with other outside corporate interests? We do a lot of lease land transactions annually, very busy lands department. Our registration officer is Charlene Grant, and she specializes in, in those um, conveyancing documents. Um, not too much in the area of development yet. As um, I mentioned a moment ago, we're moving into a neighborhood planning event coming up in June. So for a week, we'll conduct basically a land use planning process. Talking about land, I would be remiss if I didn't bring up in a general way, I guess, something known as the Heather Lands Project. Some people may have seen news coverage around it because it's it's an amazing development that's proposed. Can you give us a high-level view of that? Yes, sure. Um, so as um, mentioned previously, Charlene Grant, uh, another role she holds is as a cultural liaison with the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh Development Corporation. So the Indian Act divided our, our, first, our nations into these groups, Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh. And so now we've reunited in this development corporation and we've acquired lands, the Heatherlands, reacquired our tradition lands from our traditional territory and we're moving to develop them for housing that is affordable and reachable to the population that's out there working and supporting the economy up and around Vancouver. Yeah, and it's a ma- it's massive in scale, right? It is. It's it's uh, planned to be developed over 15 years. It's located in Vancouver West between Camby and Oak Street and it's the former Workers' Compensation Board building lands and RCMP training lands. I'd advise any listeners to go online and check it out because some of the the original artist drawings or conceptions will just blow your mind. What about infrastructure? Is there anything happening in the way of new infrastructure in, in the community? Infrastructure? Well, as I described, we have the subdivision development and servicing law in draft. It's posted for community comments at this time. And... Um, so in 2018, Musqueam applied for funding from the provincial government for a rental complex. So we did receive the funding in the amount of $15 million to develop um, a community land site where our old gym and old preschool are located. And with that proposed development, there is uh, improvements in capacity, um, increases in the infrastructure entering those lands. When it comes to planning, uh, a lot of communities, Indigenous communities, talk about looking down the road, seven generations. Is that fundamental to your approach as well? Yes, yes, definitely. Everything we do is for the children and the future children. And uh, there again is that trust relationship. These decisions that are being made are really, truly not for myself and and my my siblings, but for our children and their children and their children. So you captured that very well. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Is there anything else that I, I haven't asked you? regarding Musqueam land that you think we should include here? I give you a wide open platform. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Well, I'd like to, um, I, I look forward to the vision where we are developing our lands to accommodate our own people and the neighbors that we have here in the Vancouver area. And <clears throat> I think there's a beauty in Excuse me. 
there's a beauty in learning about who the people are who cared for this place that's now called Vancouver and the greater Vancouver area, because there truly were laws in place that were taught by our mothers and our grandmothers so that everyone knew how to take care of the land, take care of the resources, the creatures that we rely upon. And everybody had their zones. There was a a safety and a comfort. And I think that's a great place to get back to where Everyone's safe and comfortable and know each other because when we know where we come from, we know where we're going. And I think it's important for uh, newcomers and those who have, who have enjoyed this territory to have an awareness of the Indigenous people. And I, th- I think that's super important. Mm, well said. Well, I can't thank you enough, Kim, for sharing your time. And I know people are going to be excited about hearing this. And uh, if they want to get in touch with you to follow up in any way, is there a best way for them to do that? My email is, uh, the simplest is kim at musqueam.bc.ca. Awesome. Well, I hope you had a good time. I did. I did. Thank you so much, Richard. Good to meet with you. And to learn more about Musqueam's land code, visit their website at musqueam.bc.ca and look for the Lands, Capital, and Housing tab. Also, for details on the 2022 Lands Advisory Board Annual General Meeting, to be held July 19th and 20th, go to the website labrc.com. I'm Richard Perry. Thanks for listening to the podcast, and we'll catch you next time.